0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Today we are finally going back to Scotland. I know it's been a while since we've been there. Uh, Scotland and a couple of places, but mainly Scotland. Uh, the guest today is Mr. Scott Bruno. Bruno Bruno. Bruno. Yep. Bruno, okay. okay. Yep, yeah, pronounced Bruno, yep. You usually check that before, but I forgot. That's right. Um, so Scott Bruno from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Uh, Scott, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me, first of all, yeah
0: absolutely and uh you know i know this is an audio only podcast but i should say he's got uh, what i thought was a background at first and then he reached back and grabbed a bottle Um, he's got just shelving upon shelving of perfectly aligned smws bottles behind him Uh, something we scotch files can only dream about but uh that is a beautiful background
1: A little bit Um, of, I do have, I suppose I tend towards a little bit of OCD and yeah, everything has got to just be, I'll look like that, that picture right there that you're seeing. I've got to make sure they're all lined up. I can see one is, is twisted just a little bit here.
0: Over your left shoulder. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That one. Yeah. There we go. I got to fix that.
0: Yep, Perfect. Um, That is, that is just awesome. And even color-coded as well, which is, which we'll we'll get into a little bit later. Um, But uh, you know, first off, so if you're listening, uh you probably know Scott. You might know Scott from the SMWS, but you may also know Scott from the startup Scotch Test Dummies. Uh, so on the a series on, on YouTube, you're still going.
1: Oh yeah. Yep. Think, weekly. Uh, you bet.
0: Weekly, still going weekly. Uh, one of the I'd say one of the OGs of the kind of YouTuber whiskey community.
1: Yeah. We, you know, we started, it, it, you want me to go right there a little bit, expand on that yeah, one? Yeah.
0: Why don't you jump right into there?
1: Yeah. So in 2013, Bart and I started the Scotch Test Dummies and there were only a handful of risky, wh- risky, whiskey reviewers at that time. Uh, Ralphie, of course, at the time, um, Horst was on there and then there was three or four other real small channels. Guys, we were trying to watch, we were both into whiskey. We were working together And we were trying to watch YouTube reviews and learn some things. And everybody just kind of came off as hard to watch, kind of boring. And Bart and I had good rapport. We've been friends for a long time. And and we said, you know, we can do that and bring a little, make it a little bit more lighthearted, bring some humor to it, and not be so stuffy. Everybody was pretty stuffy at the time with, with whiskey. And so we started the Scotch Test Dummies, and yeah, it's still going. Actually, we do two shows a week. We'll do a Scotch or a World Whiskey on Saturdays, and then Wednesdays where we release a, a bourbon, uh, American whiskey, North American whiskey, you know, along those lines. So yeah, it's going good. But in the in the meantime, though, there's well over a hundred channels uh, now on YouTube, you know, with doing whiskey reviews and a whole bunch of people. Some of course are doing really good, really exploded. Uh, done real good. Bart and I, we, we've stuck pretty much just doing single bottle reviews, which is what we wanted to do. And, you know, here's our review of McAllen 12, or here's our review of Highland Park 15 and kind of get into it a little bit and uh, just having fun, doing a good job. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I, I haven't been following since the beginning. I got into whiskey admittedly, you know, after you guys started, so I'm a bit behind, but um, <laughs> you know, today we'll talk mostly about Scotch malt whiskey society, but uh, I think we'll have you back on perhaps for the under the influencer talk more, bring Bart on, talk about Scotch test dummies. And uh, sure. Have you ever thought I have to ask now, you ever thought of altering the name now that you do American and North American whiskeys as well?
1: I had come up originally when we were brainstorming doing the American whiskeys, I had a second name or even doing a second channel for that. And we would have been the whiskey tasting fellows. Mm -hmm. Or the uh, for the American bourbon, uh, American whiskeys and bourbons, because with the STDs, the Scotch test dummies, we've got a three letter acronym there that kind of stands out. Well, the whiskey tasting fellows would be the WTFs. So,
0: hey, my new one is the UTI, which I I didn't realize till after I started. So <laughs>
1: that kind of goes along with STD. <laughs> I was going to
0: say we can have the STD on the on the UTI, and it'll be a real fun show. So. <laughs> didn't expect it to go down that way. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so uh, definitely go, you know, subscribe on YouTube and, and take a look at some of their videos. It's It really is just a fun, like you said, you got a good rapport going and it's a, there are so many whiskey channels out there. I don't even try the video in the YouTube uh, channels because it's just, it's too much. It's out of my league. So I stick to audio and uh, the occasional online event and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: um but uh so but let's bring it to what you are here for which is the scotch malt whiskey society uh and so considered separate to be the scotch malt whiskey society of america or y'all you consider yourself under the same under the same banner
1: uh we, we are we're all under the the mothership as i call it, it you know is uk uh the uk branch in scotland Uh, You know, we're one of the satellite um, memberships, I would say, you know, being in the U.S. We still operate under under the U.K. and everything. But then there's a lot of things that we do uh, on our own as well, being separate and being in the states. So, and our membership has really grown over the last, has more than doubled since 2018. uh, And it's just, we're doing really good. The amount of whiskeys, the quality of whiskeys that we're getting in uh, to the states now is just phenomenal.
0: Absolutely. And so to go back, uh, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, founded in the UK uh, by Pip Hills, um, I had a chance to to join Pip on a different podcast, but he was talking about his book that came out last month or the month before, very recently. And of course, it's the fa- a founder's tale. It's about him founding the society. And uh, you described it in... sorry it was that it was your colleague uh jenna um described it on my friend john's embellished podcast as the world's largest whiskey club and it was pretty clear from from reading pip's book and and hearing him talk about the founding of the society uh it wasn't always envisioned as that it was it was started as like a club for him and his friends to grab a, a cask of whiskey from the nearby distillery and uh Occasionally go a little farther out, but in, in effect, you know, have just have fun, drink out of your own one. It's a great story in there. If you buy the book about him, um, meeting up, getting pulled over by a couple of policemen, and uh, basically, the I'll spoil the ending by saying they said, Okay, we'll follow you to wherever you're going. <laughs> and that was how it, that was how he got out of the uh, out of the ticket and situation, but yeah. um, so the th- the point being that, um, you know, Pip had a vision starting the society, uh, starting just in Scotland, and it's grown so exponentially, as you said, since the founding and since 2018 in America. Um, you know, what what is the kind of spirit of the Scotch Mall Whiskey Association today? And does it differ any from, from when it was founded?
1: You know, well, so it, yeah, uh, 1980s, Pip Hills and a couple buddies, uh, went to Glenn uh, That's distillery number one. And one of the first people or the first that ever went and said, hey, we just want to buy a cask of whiskey. And Glenn was, uh, they were like, oh, okay, uh, we haven't done that before. But, you know, here it is. So they took the cask of whiskey and they drank it and they had some friends come over and, and they shared it. And they said, well, hey, the next time you do that, we want to get in on it. And hence, you know, as born, it's just grown since there's over 30,000 members worldwide in the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, and we're over 5,000 members in the United States, you know, of that. But I think the core philosophy of just sharing whiskey and really the underlying at the time was to try whiskey without the label on it, without knowing the distillery from different regions with different profiles, the single cask whiskies, trying them, removing the distillery uh, biases or prejudices and enjoying the whiskey and trying them firsthand and seeing that uh, single cask, cask strength whiskies are delicious.
0: Absolutely. And a lot of, and this is, as you said, starting in the 1980s. So this is just when the idea of single malt offerings is just getting off the ground. Yeah. Um, really, with just the big guys in the in the industry, as we think about them now, uh, going to a distillery and saying, "Hey, we're, number one, we're not an independent bottler necessarily. We just want a cask of whiskey for ourselves, just to buy one," must have been, a, as you said, a completely new idea for the people at Glenfarclas. <laughs> Probably looked at them <laughs> like, "What are you? Are you insane?" <laughs> Uh,
1: but yeah and a lot of people and even when you know when I got into scotch uh, and even for a few years I didn't realize that you know up until the the 70s and the early 80s the scotch market was was blends I mean you know you think of Johnny Walker and you think of Dewar's and Chivas Regal mm-hmm. the, the world of scotch whiskey was blends and that's taking you know whiskies from several distilleries if not many distilleries blending them together and trying to reproduce and create a a product that year after year remains the same because you've mixed all these whiskeys from these different distilleries. Mm -hmm. Well, people became curious. They said, you know, we want to know what Kalila is, you know, that's a part of this blend or we want to know what Glenn Farkless is. It's used in this blend. And so single malt whiskeys really started to come about then. And people started to see these different distilleries and learn and, and, differentiate and find out what all these different regions and uh, types of cask used you know were and it's just it's a it's a wide world uh and it's still even i don't i still have a lot to learn uh you know and i'm 10 15 years into you know my whiskey journey at least and uh, yeah i've learned a lot but i mean I, i'll be the first one to tell you i don't know everything so i'm still learning i'm still learning every day.
0: Sure, and- I mean, I'm the same way. I'm I don't have as many years in the uh, in trying whiskey uh, for sure, but you know, I'm just with Scotch, I'm, I'm just at the point where I can start differentiating most of the nine active distilleries on Isla. Um, not usually a hardcore Isla fan, but if I do go there, it's usually Bruichladdie or uh-huh. the one you mentioned, Kalila. You're uh-huh. uh, my favorite one. Um, a Calila in, in a sherry cask is just, just, oh. just perfect for me yeah <laughs> uh, so as so as you said um, or as you alluded to Glenn Farkless is distillery number one mm-hmm. and i know uh that one is is like it's well known it's it's public it's you know kind of out there in the ether uh, but not every distillery is automatically you know, you can't say which distillery all them are and uh the example i'll pull up you know i'm drinking on a uh cask number 4.257 so 4 being the distillery number and 257 being this is the 257th barrel gotten from that particular distillery yep yep Um, and you know there are there are plenty of sites that you can go to 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 you know uncrack the code as it were or to crack the code not uncrack to crack the code as it were for the distillery and um now you've got some new ones like uh, the G numbers for yeah. if you're single grain and things like that. But um, distillery four, as we'll call it, has been uh, probably my favorite scotch distillery, if not one of my favorite distilleries in the world for many years now. So I have many of those. So I'm drinking on the 257 going the extra miles. Yeah, And I believe you are also drinking on a four as well.
1: I, I, since you had a four, I poured 4.282, which would be the 282nd cask we, we've gotten from that distillery which i would add is in the orkney islands for anybody that's listening so now and actually with the scotch malt whiskey society we used to include uh you, you sign up you become a member of the scotch malt whiskey society we send out a member's packet we used to include a list in there uh, of the distilleries and what number they were uh, because it was something people really wanted to know and i think At some point several years ago, you know, the decision was made. Hey, that's, you know, we wanted to get away from creating biases and we want people to try whiskeys, you know, not based on the distillery name. So we quit doing that. But like you mentioned, there are plenty of sources online uh, where people can go and and pull a current up-to-date list of the distillery codes. So, and we, you know, we have some people that, that order, you know, anything. We have some people that, you know, only have certain distilleries that they like, some people, certain regions and some, we've got 12 flavor profiles. Some people only order from, you know, one or two profiles, but I mean, there's point is there's, there's a lot of good whiskey out there. And I've even had uh, with SMWS several distilleries that I would be like, I've never heard of that distillery. I would never buy anything off of the shelf from it. Cause I don't know anything about it. And then, you know, I get a bottle and I'm like, this is this is a gorgeous whiskey, you know, from a whiskey that I just never, or from a distillery that I never would have even considered buying one from. So, and then that's part of removing that bias and just looking at the, the name on the bottle, looking at the age, looking at the ABV, and looking at the cask type and saying, yeah, I'm going to try that one.
0: Absolutely. So, looking at, at a, an SMWS label, <clears throat> as you said, you have the society cast number. So, as we said, that's the number of the distillery. And corresponding to the number barrel, uh, which you've gotten from the distillery. Next to that is the outturn. Uh, and I kind of wanted to go through the label and just kind of go through the glossary because some, some terms, even American scotch drinker is not going to be necessarily familiar with. So this one is outturn one of 256. So what would that mean?
1: So one bottle of 200, there were 256 bottles from that cask. Worldwide. Now, some of those. So the US may have an exclusive cask where all of the bottles came to the US uh, or the UK may have an exclusive cask as well. That was only kept in the UK. And I don't know the percentages, but but 50 to 70 percent of the casks are shared. I mean, in other words, you if there's 250 bottles in that outturn, the UK probably keeps 150 100 to 150, and then they'll send the rest out to, you know, the States, to Canada, uh, to um, Australia. I'm trying to think where are other. We got one or two other uh, big branches. But yeah, so they're kind of shared around the world, which is the goal. So,
0: And the, you know, the next thing on the label is the title of the bottle. You know, this one being going the extra miles and ref- and referring to it in the description, <clears throat> which is in the cathedral of Santiago with the giant incense burner swinging before heading to, for- sorry, let's try that again. In the cathedral of Santiago with the giant incense burner swinging before heading to what for centuries was known as the end of the world. So me being a, you know, former or recovering medievalist, um, and it's the road to Santiago de Compostela. Uh, I know many friends who have walked that road uh, several times, and it does paint a picture of something for you. you know, you're going down the roads of, of what is today Spain, and uh, Spain and Portugal, I should say, and with the incense burner swinging. Now, granted, I come from a Jewish background. We didn't co- have much incense burning in the, uh, in the synagogues. So <laughs> that's more something that my friends introduced me to. But the, what I wanted to ask about was the, in that description and the title, you know, how do those titles and descriptions come about? Cause they are sometimes pretty esoteric.
1: Yeah. So we have the UK, uh, the, the main, the, the mothership, we have a tasting panel uh, over there and uh, we have a warehouse. We buy these whiskeys, you know, we could go to a distillery. Maybe we buy five casks, maybe we buy 10 or 20. We have our own warehouse that we, that we store them in and we may, you know, age them longer. We may do our own barrel finishing on, on certain whiskeys. Once, once our tasting team uh, thinks a, a whiskey is ready to be released, they send blind samples to our tasting panel and the tasting panel will sit down with whiskeys and try them blind and they don't know anything about them basically what distillery it is or how old they are, anything like that. So as our tasting panel are tasting these whiskeys and and deciding a lot of the notes will come from that tasting panel. And then also the name um, from what I'm told is uh, a lot of the times, or if not every time the tasting panel names it while they're first tasting that whiskey so whatever comes to mind or something that that pops up with someone that reminds them something about that whiskey that's where the name of that cast comes from
0: so it's really uh, it's really scent memory based uh-huh. or scent scent experience based
1: right And yeah and or yeah and or palette yeah
0: yeah and i yeah. oh, sorry yes i I don't know why my words are not working for me today. Um, <laughs> I was thinking I was thinking sense memory and instead oh. scent memory came out. So, yeah. uh, so yes, you are correct palette as well. As well. So um uh, just taking a break from the label for a second, that was something I didn't know that um you guys had your own warehouse. Not only did you have your own warehouse, but that uh sometimes you'll do things with or to the casks after purchasing them from the distillery and/or uh, broker. Right. So was that I mean, I know at first it was just Pip and his friends buying casks from from any distillery that would sell a cask to them. Uh can you talk to the kind of the evolution of how the SMWS started as the SMWS went from being strictly a buyer to being aware then a warehouser and a finisher right. of whiskeys as well.
1: Well, yeah. And I mean, that's evolved over time. So, and I don't know, you know, the exact timeline or anything there, how things come about, but I can tell you it's happening. We're doing it more and more. And I know it's an area from what I've been told that we're really looking to expand on, expand in, and that's just that barrel finishing and taking whiskeys and kind of putting our own little, you know, stamp on them and making them ours. Uh, you know, a lot of so the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society is basically an independent bottler. You know, we we source whiskeys from distilleries and then we bottle them. There's a lot of people out there doing that. Not very many people are are putting their own stamp on it, where they're doing their own special finishing uh, or their you know, aging them for extra longer, extra longer, extra time. Uh, We've even had, you know, some of our whiskeys we've sourced. We had a, we had a distillery number one that we took and we put into a a cask that used to have peated whiskey in it. So we had basically a, a peated distillery number one, which isn't done. I mean, nobody has a peated, you know, distillery number one. So like I say, that's something that, what, what was the timeline? When did that start? I don't know, but I mean, like I say, I know it's something that there we're really trying to uh, expand and bring more of those to our members.
0: It's, it's an interesting turn just in, in terms of what I think about with scotch Whisky Whiskey Society and, and independent bottlers and certainly other independent bottlers, whether it be kind of a like Gordon and McPhail, Blackadder, uh, any of these impacts signature, um, there's some great ones out there right now, alongside. And some, I know some do this as well. But I guess in my mind, I'd always thought of the SMWS as like, you're going to get the purest expression of whatever the distillery was wanting to do. So if, if distillery number four had a cask that they were aging that was already in, uh, let's say, you know, a first fill Oloroso butt, mm. you take that and say, it's distillery number four been it, it it aged and or finished its whole life in this cask this is what it is but now by introducing the secondary either a secondary finishing or a second life for the casks involved uh is i don't know for me it's it sounds like maybe it sounds like maybe a bigger change than it actually is mm-hmm. If you know what i mean um uh, but an interesting one nonetheless because not every independent bottler is doing that some will are just strictly Give me the cask mm-hmm. and I'm going to put my label on it. Yeah. Uh, so here you guys are, are not only doing that, but also ex- looking to expand that is, is fascinating to me.
1: Yeah. And we've even sourced some um, white dog or an un- aged, just the distilled spirit. And then we've taken it and we're putting it into our own casks. But in a- another level of, of complexity, there is also now sourcing casks because the whiskey industry overall, you know, from bourbon to Scotch, you know, the States to the UK uh, has just, you know, blown up the last few years, uh, grown so much there. I mean, there's even distilleries having hard times getting casks Mm -hmm. and even cooperages are having a hard time keeping up with demand for casks. So the fact, you know, there that we're even in that game of of sourcing casks and, and trying to buy our own. I mean, that's a whole nother level of complexity thrown into everything else.
0: Absolutely. I was at a tasting uh, just last weekend where uh, it was with Raj Saberwal. Oh, of, yeah, I know Raj. Uh-huh. Yeah, of uh, several different companies. Yeah. <laughs> but, and uh, you know, the tasting was mostly, um, it was a couple of Japanese whiskeys and mostly focused on on Bimber and then a couple of rums. But um, part of the conversation separate from that was he was talking with Amrit and saying, you know, Amrit needed 3,500 ex bourbon barrels, which, you know, no small feat to get 3,500 barrels, whether assembled or disassembled over there in time with the supply chain issues and all that, you know, finding a a truck or whatever, not a truck, a a ship that could take a a, a shipping container full of them over. Um, And it happened that the head distiller for Taconic distilling was there. And he's like, I can get you 50 get you this number i don't know that 3500 um, but you're to your point everyone's looking for casks nowadays right um there's not really a cask shortage per se but the, the demand and the competition has gone yeah. way way up yeah yeah and um i'm gonna write a note for myself to ask you a, a question off air
1: mm mm-hmm.
0: All right. That'll be 15 seconds of dead space, but that is okay. Um so with so back to the, the labels for the Scotch maltwood Society. Uh the age uh for every label I've seen, the age is always right there. It's I don't yeah. think I've seen any that are non-age stated. Um, other than like a you know a blend a blend might be, but not at the single casks.
1: No, we've even put age statements on, and we've only done a handful of blends, which we just started a few years as well, which are our own blends. Our, our panel in the UK are, are creating these, and, and they've been doing a, a wonderful job. But no, even age statements are going on our blends. I was trying to think of something that doesn't, but I think, I think everything we've released has an age statement on
0: it. Right. I have the blend number 10 out, outside. I should have brought that one in too. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the age is always it's right there. It's up front, no matter if it's, you know, five, six, seven, or in this case, 15 years old, uh, or even older. I know you guys have had some in the vault series that are 20 plus, or, uh, oh, yeah. I think I've seen a couple that are even 30 plus
1: over 30. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, those are a little out of my price range. I hope you understand, but I'll stick with the, I'll stick <laughs> yeah, with the 15 year. Um, so at yeah, the years with, uh, the other specs about it, you know, distilled, when it was distilled, uh, the region, uh, as, aplica- as applicable, the initial cask or the final cask. So this one, initial cask X bourbon hogshead, and then final cask first fill xpx hogshead. So matured uh, mostly in the X bourbon and then finished in that X PX first fill. So um, this one actually has a surprisingly controlled PX note because you know PX is, is syrupy sweet and pretty damn strong um so i'm not sure how how long this one finished but uh it was long enough to give great color and a nice sherry roundness oh yeah um but i would not at all call this a, a sweet whiskey it's it's uh very artfully blended not sorry artfully finished
1: sure sure
0: um thank god i, I don't hold myself to high editing standards because my again my words would be terrible tonight <laughs>
1: No PX can be. And you know, when, uh, when I first started getting into Sherry whiskeys, I thought I was an Oloroso fan and I am, uh, and I'd had some combinations where it was Oloroso and PX, but I thought it made them too sweet and I didn't care for it. But then I had a really well done, uh, matured PX where it'd been in a PX cask, a good, apparently I think a good PX cask for a while. And it was a completely different whiskey and it was just It's so dark and it's so, I mean, it was like toffee, burnt toffee and coffee and dark chocolates and bitter and that syrupy sweetness wasn't there and it was just delicious. And so I think I actually say I'm more of a PX fan now than I am uh, an Oloroso, but I think it depends on the cask and the finish as well. Some of them can, sometimes the PX can play a pretty heavy role and be really kind of a, you almost get like a molasses syrup type note with yeah, which is which is I don't necessarily care for that as as much as I do. If you can get into the the toffees and the coffees and some of the other PX notes,
0: yeah, I like those dark the dark fruit and powerful PX. If it's a um, you know a heavily peated whiskey and really heavily peated from any area, but particularly from Isla because it, it balances the the peat smoke a little bit. But uh, yeah, it, it's it has to be done just right. Um, you're I ask, you're uh, based in New York, right?
1: The, you- the company is yeah. I'm in Wichita, yeah. Kansas.
0: Oh, you're, in w- Yep. I I all right, there's, that makes more sense. I was there's there's several <laughs> of us
1: that are spread out. Um, Jenna uh, with the Society, she's in Atlanta now. She was in California. Zach, he moved from Florida to California, and then Ben is in Nashville. So we're all kind of spread out. But then we've got a few people back home working at the at working at the at the main office in New York.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so that explains why I can't go over and just, you know, pick up my bottles instead of, uh, shipping yeah. them, I kid you not 11 miles from oh. where I live. So, um, I need to, I'm going to petition for a pickup option on that one. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, um, the reason I was asking was because with, uh, with sherry finishes, they're pretty, I know what more countries are using them now, but it, for the most part, they are kind of associated with scotch aging or finishing, uh writ large and i didn't really understand that sherry taste until it tasted actual sherry oh yeah um so uh you know last year i got to do a sherry flight of was four of the six or seven major sherry categories and you finally got to taste like what does a manzanillo taste like what is an amontillado or an oloroso or px and i got to the i i ended up of the straight sherries being an oloroso fan most but yeah. um that px was it was just like syrup it it was thicker uh. than simple syrup honestly uh.
1: um
0: but to your point the the px can have a very different character whether it's also i was thinking about whether it was a wet or dry barrel upon entry mm-hmm. because a wet barrel can have you know up to like 5 gallons of uh, of sherry in there and you add 5 gallons of px to anything it's going to be sweet
1: yeah for sure um,
0: but if it's a dry cask then it's really getting more of the the tannic elements the drier oakier um, fruits I suppose right. it is. So yeah, I'm wondering uh, there, there may not be a way to go back and check this, but I'm curious if that's what happened with you know this particular bottle and, and uh, the pour that you were talking about where you also got the less sweet, more complex notes oh, yeah from the sherry.. Yep. And so uh, lastly with the with the label, um, actually I should say there are two more th- parts of the label and the bottle. Um, The first one being the bottle itself is always green. Mm, The glass. The glass, yes, is always green. Uh, Now I've heard two explanations for this. Uh, One, as you noted, uh, it does take away some of the bias that you would have in just looking at a bottle uh, from a clear glass. Um, The second one that I've heard is that, uh, at least from Pip, was that Green glass was cheaper. <laughs> that time. So that became the tradition.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's probably know, a mix of both. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know on that one. So if Pip told you that, I'd stick with that one for sure.
0: I mean, it, it, it's probably a mix of both because it, it does remove some of it. You can, if you put it up to the light, really looks, I mean, I'm sure you could tell if something was super dark, mm-hmm. but uh, unless it's, it's particularly dark or on the other hand, particularly Almost uncolored, uh, you're not going to really be telling through this kind of a green glass. Um, so that was one part of the of the bottle, the label, and the the last part that I want to go into, which you mentioned earlier, was the flavor profiles. Um, and so when I said earlier that Scott behind him's got them all uh, color coded, uh, that's really what I was talking about: is that the tops of the bottles, and there's and a line on the label will show a particular color that corresponds with the 12 one of the 12 flavor profiles. Um, so uh, what can you tell us about those flavor profiles?
1: Yeah, and those are those are fairly new too. I mean within the last few years uh, we came up with those or at least the 12 different ones. So and it really it's kind of it, they're also kind of uh, formulated for a tasting as well. And to help you if you if you were organized and tasting and you had five, six, seven, eight whiskies, you could line them up by the color codes or the flavor profiles, and it kind of takes you from kind of the lowest impact on your palate up to the, the richest or the highest impact on your palate, which is usually the peated whiskies or the green labels. We have three different shades of green for our peated whiskies: <clears throat> lightly peated, peated, and heavily peated. I mean,
0: you mean the green doesn't correspond to rye here? I'm just, I'm just kidding. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's an honest question. A lot of people would be confused by that. No, fair. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> let's keep going. Yeah, No, but, uh, there's three different shades of purple, uh, which is, uh, young and sprightly, uh, sweet, fruity, and mellow and spicy and sweet. We've got kind of a khaki color that is spicy and dry profile. We've got uh, juicy oak and vanilla, uh, oily and coastal, and deep rich and dried fruits. And I feel like I left something out. But uh, yeah, so three different shades of purple, three different shades of green, three different shades of blue. And then we've got young and sprite, or I mean, um, spicy and dry, deep rich and dried fruits. And I, I feel like I'm naming 11 of them and not 12.
0: I mean, I, I'm not testing you on this, so that was impressive that you got that you got 11 out of 12. That was I wasn't even going to ask you, but I was like, all right, let's see if you can get them all. Um, I don't I don't know which of the 12th one is offhand, so I, I had to look it up also. So, uh, but you're at right, The point being that they they are set up so that you can you can taste them. You get a general idea of what the profile is. Of course, the description is going to give you something a little more in terms of a, a particular memory. It's not going to say. Like this, again, this one is saying it's the Cathedral of Santiago with the giant incense burner. It's not saying incense, floral, um, slightly smoky. Like that's not, it's not a tasting notes description. It's a very much an experiential description, which uh, is still, I think it's still unique to SMWS. I don't think anyone else is doing that. Right. And the Whiskey Ring Podcast is proudly sponsored by Impex Beverages. Impex imports premium and rare whiskey, gin, rum, mezcals, liqueurs, and cordials from all over the world, from Scotland to Japan to Israel, Belgium, and Wales. Whether it's Kilchoman, Port Portiskeg, Glenallachie, Ohishi, Fukano, MH, and Black Tot, and more, there's guaranteed to be something in the Impex portfolio you'll love. Impex also oversees some of the most prestigious independent bottlers in the game, including Single Malts of Scotland, Single Cast Nation, Adelphi Selection, and its own Impex Collection. Take a look at their site, impexbev.com, or reach out if you're curious about their offerings. I'm proud to have many of their bottles on my shelves and love sharing them with friends whenever I can. Thank you to Sam and to the team for joining the Whiskering Podcast as guest and sponsor.
1: So what one of the other main, just talking about labeling names and whatnot, one of the biggest questions we get a lot as well, and we see it is that the UK say the UK names a bottle and they call it cherry pound cake. And that's the name mm-hmm. of the whiskey. U S labeling restrictions, alcohol can't put any names of food in the name of the whiskey. So we have to then rename it because I guess people get confused and if you put cherry pound cake on there they think there's actually cherry pound cake, you know, in the bottle. It's very confusing to people according to the government. So we those we have to rename, you know, we'd have to call it uh batter batter up, you know, or something <laughs> like
0: that. That's a pretty good one offhand. I don't know if you I don't <laughs> know if you were saving that or not. That's a good one.
1: No, I just thought of it. <laughs>
0: Inching your way onto the tasting panel day by day. That was, that was a good one. I like it. Um, no, you're, you're absolutely right though. The, the restrictions are a little, I, I'd i like to say that we've come a while towards a, a little more educated whiskey clientele, but uh, we still got some, somewhere to go as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that. Uh, and I mean, in that case, how much of a, of an annoyance is it to have that whole re-bottling? Like, do Like st-
1: do they, does the
0: tasting panel and the labeling folks know right away that they're going to have to redo that you think, or do yeah, I think have to they I, it
1: first, I think they probably do now, if not Tom Smith, he's uh, he's one of our guys, he works in New York. He kind of oversees all of the, the labeling and the importation of our whiskeys. And mm-hmm. uh, if, if they don't know it when they name it, then uh, he's on it and he gets it um, relabeled and, and the, the, done up to meet regulations, I guess you could say.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I'm just thinking if there are any other terms that you guys use that are uh, really, uh, you know, like the outturn, where it's something totally different than than what uh, a U.S. consumer might see on their whiskeys. Um, oh, I should ask, I guess, where about the, you know the vaults in Leith. So uh-huh. the vaults are are prominently featured on on every bottle in terms of the building, but some bottles are from the vault as opposed to you know like the older ones are, are oh from the vault uh, so well there's unless, actually,
1: unless i'm misreading that yeah i don't i mean i i don't my knowledge doesn't go back that far i'm not sure but um in edinburgh there's two we have two uh, member rooms we call them member rooms over there and they're actually it's one of the big perks for the uk members we have their restaurants and bars and members can go there and eat dinner, try any of our whiskeys. They'll have them all. And they can even buy, I mean, they can try and buy the glass or they can even buy bottles of them there. So in Edinburgh, the vault, which is uh, the Leith location, as it's known is the original, that was where Pip and his buddies started and, and then a second street or a second member's room open there. But now we've got a room in Glasgow as well, London. And that might be it for the UK. But they're really big perks for the UK members. They're well, the restaurants are very good there. I've been there to the Leith, the vaults location. And the food was delicious. It's a great place. It's a It's an old building, very nice architecture artistic details involved in it. It's just a great place to go and hang out. Uh, anybody that's there, I, I encourage them to go check it out. Absolutely. And uh, I will
0: be stopping there on the next trip to to Edinburgh. Uh, any plans to open up member's room outside the UK?
1: Well, so I know we're always looking at it, talking about it. I know it comes up a lot, you know, in the States. I think the problem is, is all the different state to state regulations, um, the, with the, with the alcohol and the three tier system of having to have uh, a wholesaler, a dealer, and then the liquor store, all of those come into play with, with alcohol. And it's just kind of a pain in the States dealing with. So I know it's something they're always looking at, always trying to figure out how to do it. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't know where we're at in that process, but I mean, it's something that's always being talked about and looked at.
0: I mean, I'm biased. I'll always push for a club location in New York, but uh, that's going to be, you need a lot I, of know, members to support it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I tell people, like, Hey, if it does happen the first or the only one is going to be in, in one of the populated areas in New York is probably if I was a betting man, I mean, that's where I'd put my money on the, on the first, if we do get one opened up, so.
0: I'll, I'll patronize it every, every (laughs) week if I have to, once it opens up. Um, Cause I I love the idea of it for, for me, you know, I've been a member now for about, I want to say about two years. Yeah. Uh, I was drinking it before then, but finally decided to, you know, take the leap. And uh, to me, the, looking at the bottles and uh, this follows looking behind you as well with the, really library of bottles as well. Um, These books, the (laughs) Freudian slip, these uh, barrels and bottles are like a library and being able to just go in and and taste any bottle that might be on the shelf to just say, oh, I've never had that distillery before is such a, a cool idea. And you're right, there's a lot of regulations that are getting in the way of that here in the US, but um being able to do that and just sample things and taste is, is fascinating. Um and that leads to, you know, as you said, there as you said earlier, there are a bunch of distilleries now. I mean, you guys are up to over over a hundred on the
1: 150.
0: 150, yeah. Uh on the main list. Um, I'm assuming that doesn't include the the G's and the Americans, or maybe it does not include the American, but
1: uh See, they started at one point, they started, they were just sequentially numbering right. distilleries. And then at some point they said, hey, we need to break you know some of these off into their own different categories. So we started doing that. But yeah, when you look at the main list, which is, I think, just over 150 now, there's a couple of um, Japanese distilleries in there. Mm-hmm. Um, even one or two of the first U.S. distilleries that we worked with might be in there. But now we've got separate categories for corn whiskey, rye whiskey, rums, um, no, single grain, single yeah grain whiskeys. Yeah, so they instead of sequentially numbering them, they did start branching off into separate categories for some of them. But
0: right, but even so, I mean, with 150 distilleries, just talking about the main line, uh, there are a lot of distilleries that. People might otherwise never get to taste, yeah, on their own. Oh, yeah. And I think of one like like a Kalila, which has its own very small line of of single that, You know, they put out the twelve year old, but it's very limited. Most of what they produce, and they're top ten by volume in Scotland. Uh, most of what they produce goes into the blends for Diageo, especially Johnny Walker blends and such. Yeah. But getting to taste one that is truly a single cask right from the distillery, or even uh, having done a second finishing or such, is a brand new experience. And they Kalila now has the name recognition. It's also got, you know, it's being, being one of nine on Isla, it's kind of a, its own club. But I'm thinking of somewhere like, uh, like a cam, camboo, or canvas. I was forget which one it is
1: yeah i think I, I would say canvas i mean that's how i would pronounce it i'm not sure me too I,
0: I think so also um it's not french so uh let's say canvas um or cameron bridge you know the, these uh, places that are really they were always built and produced for blends yeah. and yet you can get a bottle that is a single cast from cameron bridge
1: absolutely like, uh,
0: that one being mainly a grain distillery might be a g at this point but uh it you know, it, the point being trying these individual components is fascinating. And it's such a new experience for a whiskey drinker when you finally get to do it. That uh, again, going back to the idea of a member's room in the U S getting to do that and really taste what's going into the Diageo blend. Right. You know, Cause you, yeah. you basically know, you might not know the percentages, but you basically know what's going into a Johnny Walker black versus green or whatever, or what's going into the Shivas. So,
1: yeah, and I, I mean, even outside of, of like Kalila that, you, you know, you mentioned, which is even a more well-known, there's so many other smaller distilleries, you know, whose whiskeys are, are pure, purely used for blends or, you know, 99% of them are, and they don't even have core range bottlings. Uh, mm-hmm. We were talking, you know, before we went live about Highland Park and I'm a fan. I think the Highland Park, you know, 12, 15, 18 are all good whiskeys off of the shelf. But when you get into single cast, cast strength whiskeys, they're just they're completely different beast. I mean, you're 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 taking a, a whiskey that hasn't been, you know, diluted. It hasn't been watered down uh, basically straight out of the cask and hasn't been combined with other casks to release at You know, 43 percent ABV. And it's just a it's an eye opening experience to get in there with some of these distillers that you would never think would wow you. And then you're, yeah, you're time after time, you're just wowed by him.
0: Yeah. If you look at, uh, I'm thinking of a particular map. I don't know what site it's from, but it shows Scottish distilleries, uh, all the Scottish distilleries on the map. And it's color coded as to which ones are kind of open to the public, which ones are closed. And the majority of them, over half, are closed to the public. It's not like the U.S. where everyone's going. Yeah, you, know, you can stop by a distillery and go do a tour or something, you know, they're right. close to the public. They don't have the core range as you said. They're just used for blends. Mm-hmm. And yet some people like you, like Scotch Whisky Whiskey Society, can get a cask from those places. So I'm just curious, when you have a distillery that uh, is, let's say, let's go to the extreme and say all for blending.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, how do you go about you know, going to them and saying, hey, we want to buy a single cask from you.
1: I, I wish I could answer that. I wish I knew. I wish I was one of those involved in that process. <laughs> but no, I mean, that's our that's our UK team. I mean, and I think they're constantly, you know, hunting for whiskies. They're constantly searching and they're they're constantly going you know, to these distilleries and buying. And I think there's a lot of the, I, there's only a handful of distilleries that don't sell single casks and most of them are, I think most, if not all of them are owned by a major conglomerate, you know, where uh, they don't allow single cask um, sales. So I, I think we've gotten whiskeys from just about everybody. Um, if we haven't, there's only again, a handful of distilleries that we wouldn't have uh, that are, you know, used in blends. So. Sure.
0: And there are a couple I know that are Exclusive to a particular company as well, like they'll do a single cask, but only with this particular independent bottler,
1: right? Um, and I was trying to remember so, so. because even the first of June, I think there was two whiskeys that we previewed at the at the in the in the June outturn, and there were two whiskeys that were strictly they're basically used just in blends, and I mean the only way you could ever try their whiskeys was through you know single cask offerings, uh, i.e., like the ones that that we get and and offer, so. Sure neat experience
0: absolutely so um
1: no pun intended yeah Uh,
0: so (laughs) i know we are getting uh towards the top of the hour and uh you have an outturn uh preview coming tonight so you know we're recording on june 22nd so by the time this recording goes live goes out this outturn will be possibly long gone but uh you know give give the folks a little preview of what's coming out today
1: yeah so we've we've got uh we're, we're I want to say if you can. <laughs> probably, yeah. Well, we've got eight to 12 uh, American whiskeys uh, that, that we try to do a year. It's a handful. Uh, we, we are the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. We want to focus more on scotches. Uh, at the same time, the, the US team, we want to try to bring more American whiskeys to, to market for our members. And right now, eight to 12 whiskeys a year, maybe from America. That could be a bourbon, could be a rye whiskey or a corn whiskey or a single malt. But we're just tonight we've got a new American whiskey that we'll be releasing tomorrow. Uh, Myself and Scott Page from My Bourbon Journey on YouTube will be previewing it tonight and then it'll be available uh, tomorrow, the 23rd, like you say, probably uh, after this, this will air after that. And our American whiskeys, honestly, uh, you've got to order one within the first two or three hours that they're available and then they're sold out. So they'll, they'll go pretty quick.
0: Sure. And with the, you know, bet you said about 5,000 members in the U S uh, having doubled in just the past couple of years. Uh, last question or two just to throw in there is, you know, have you, what is the demand in America looking like? Like, is it different from the demand in the UK? Um, you know, it, are we looking more for American whiskeys, or are we okay knowing that it's a Scotch malt whiskey society? And, it's and
1: it's a it's states? a uh, it's a balancing act. Um, like I say, I mean, with the UK, I mean, we, and, and we are with the Scotch malt whiskey society. We're not bourbon society. Uh, our attitude here, though, is you know, hey, we're in we're in the states, and we're surrounded by all these good whiskeys. Uh, we want to be able to. We want to try to bring more to our uh, U.S. membership. So I mean, that's what a lot of our members are looking for as well. So, like I say, it's, it's a balancing act of what what's enough and and what's too much. So, fair, fair. <laughs> no,
0: that's fair. Um, all right. So, just uh, you know, closing out. I know you got to go uh, to prepare for the outturn yeah. preview. Um, I'm going to take another look at what bottles those are right after this. So, wow, I'm not doing well today. Okay. (laughs) uh, So just to close out, um, you know, what's, what has excited you most about your job about joining the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society since you joined?
1: So through, actually, I I got to know and, and work with the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society from the Scotch Test Dummies. Uh, last year, I was looking at retiring from my, my first career, my main career that I've done for almost 29 years. And I was thinking, okay, if I, I want to get into whiskey, what in the world of whiskey enthuses me? What piques my interest? And we had worked with SMWS several times uh, just in collaborations and doing stuff on YouTube And I was a big fan. uh, Bart is also with the Scotch Test Dummies of the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society and just the quality of whiskeys that they offer and the fact that they work with almost every distillery that's out there. You know, I had thought, well, if I say I got a job with McAllen, which is Edrington, that's a whiskey job, but they can only talk about McAllen. I like being able to talk about whiskey, all whiskeys. And even with uh, the Scotch test dummies, really, there's no conflict. We're still all working with all these different distilleries. You know, we're talking whiskey, we're talking this and that, you know, I can talk about McAllen or I can talk about Highland park or, or Brook Lottie, or I can talk about Balcones, Elijah Craig. Uh, so it was really though, just the quality and what the Scotch malt whiskey society is doing and has been doing. And I think the quality of the whiskeys that they've offered, especially over the last several years, uh, just really drew me into them and um, led to a job. And I'm thankful. I'm glad it's a, it's a good job. I love it. And hopefully I'm still here years from now.
0: Great. Sounds great. And it's a perfect way to end it. So Scott, thanks so much for coming on. Um, thank you to uh, new patron and new friend Don Sheeta for introducing us after you did uh, tasting with his group in, in Hawaii. Uh, so definitely go ahead. Uh, where can people find you on and the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society on, uh, on all the socials?
1: And such? Yeah. Uh, Bart and I at Scotch Test Dummies are on, uh, you can find us on YouTube. Of course, that's our main uh, outlet there. We're on Instagram and Twitter and then the uh, Scotch Malt Whiskey Society of America most stuff you're going to look up, you're going to find the UK, UK sites or the UK pages. And then there's the America pages. So look for the SMWS America on those as well. YouTube, I'm running the SMWS America YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, subscribe to both dummies and the SMWS America.
0: Awesome. And as always, you can follow Whiskey My Wedding Ring on all the socials, Whiskey Ring on Twitter, uh, on all your, you know, make sure to like and subscribe and all the favorite podcast apps. And it's been another episode. Scott, stay on with me for a second mm-hmm. and cheers.
1: Cheers.